Morning. How's everybody doing today? Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. All right. We are in this series called Ghost Stories, a not so spooky series about the Holy Spirit. We'll be going through the book of Acts and looking at the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church and how that applies to our lives. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? And then I'm going to get into today's sermon. God, thank you so much for uh, your word that we can dive into, uh, the book of Acts. It just tells us about the early church and how the Holy Spirit is working and active in our lives. So God, I pray that this morning that uh, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, oh God. Uh, thank you, God, that you are already here. Uh, just make us aware to what you are already doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever met someone who, after you met them, it changed your life? Uh, have you ever met someone who, after you met them, it changed your life? For me, one of the people who changed my life was a guy named Sean Whitworth. Sean worked at a church that I worked at, uh, a really big church, and he was my manager. And I was a young punk, 23 years old, fresh out of college, when he was my supervisor. And I was an artist, a musician, and he was the one that really poured and invested in me and in saying like, hey, don't use the excuse of being an artist to show up late. Don't use that excuse to be disorganized. Like, be better. You can be better. And Sean really invested in my life. And at that time, I was really trying to decide, do I want to be a musician? Do I want to be a pastor? And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And some of my good friends that I, I played music with, they're now touring and traveling. And I thought, maybe that's what I wanted to do. But Sean really said, hey, you need to figure out what God is calling you to do, to invest in one group of people for a long time, or be a traveling musician and, and just stop in and out on little, on the little tours you know, throughout while you're, you're playing. And, and as I prayed and as I sought God, I said, man, I don't want that life on the road. I want to invest in a group of people for a long, long time. So meeting Sean was, it really had a huge impact on my life. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite people in the Bible, Peter, and how he met two persons that changed and impacted his life. Peter, uh, he's one of Jesus' closest friends. He's an outdoorsy guy. He, he was a fisherman. He cursed like a sailor, liked to go camping with his buddies. He was married, a big brother, entrepreneur, and small business owner. When I think of Peter, I think of a dude like in a flannel shirt, nice beard, uh, jeans. Like that's, that's Peter. And we're going to see that Peter, he's going to meet two people, two persons that are going to change his life. And you and I have the same opportunity as Peter to have our lives changed by meeting those same two persons. And Peter and his little brother Andrew had a fishing business with their friends James and John. Fishermen at this time, they were a little gruff, a little smelly. You wouldn't be surprised to hear some curse words kind of peppering their speech. And Peter and his little brother Andrew and their good buddies James and John, one day they're out fishing, they're doing their business, and all of a sudden they see this young 30-something rabbi walk by. And this rabbi says, hey, come follow me. This morning, I encourage you to take notes. And uh, usually we like to fit all our notes on one sheet. I just got to warn you, I couldn't do that. Uh, so get ready. Uh, we got a lot of stuff we're going to cover today. And so actually flip over to your, your second page. We're going to do a page and a half of notes today. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The purpose doesn't park. It passes by and invites you to follow. That your purpose is not going to park waiting for you in front of your house saying, hey, whenever you're ready, just, you know, uh, I'm here. No, we see again and again in the Bible that our purpose is passing by and invites us to follow. 
Sometimes we need to chase after our purpose. You want a better job? It's probably not just gonna park in front of you. You want a better life? You're gonna have to recognize when it passes by and chase after it. We're invited to follow and chase after our purpose. So this young rabbi Jesus is passing by them and invites them to follow. And what's their response? Matthew 4.22 says, Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus invites these young guys to follow him and they leave their business, they leave all their assets behind. See, whenever your purpose comes calling, it's gonna cost you something, amen? Write this down. There is no calling without a cost. There is no calling without a cost. Pursuing your purpose always requires pain of some kind. Anything of value costs something. Whether that something is a relationship you're pursuing, a goal, a life experience. Marcus back there is working on his first uh, marathon, right? And that, that takes pain, right, brother? Amen. Pursuing your purpose is always going to require pain of some kind. Anything of value is going to cost something. Starting this church meant paying a price. My wife and I left friends and family behind as we pursued our purpose. See, there's no certainty in church planting. When we started this church, there was no full-time salary, no benefits, no health insurance. We honestly didn't know if anyone was going to show up. I grew up in Minnesota, but we were gone 10 years. We're like, let's start this church in Maple Grove where I grew up, but is anyone going to come? There's always uncertainty in following your calling. But when you do discover your purpose, you are willing to pay the price because you know there's no calling without a cost. And you know the cost is worth it to live out your calling and to do what you were created to do. Amen? And so Peter and his brother Andrew and their buddies James and John, they leave behind what they know to follow the one who knows their calling. Where are you at today? Are you living out your calling? Do you know what you were created to do? Maybe today, this week, you've been asking questions like, how do I even know my purpose in life? Maybe you know what you've been called to do, but you lack the courage to pursue your purpose because you know that's going to cost you something. You're afraid that your calling is going to cost too much. Maybe at this stage of your life, your biggest battle is complacency. You have a nice spouse, a house, a job that pays comfortably. Everything is just kind of smooth. And you're wondering, though, can there be more? Is this all there is? I feel like God has given me this message this morning. For those of you who have been searching for your calling or searching for courage to pursue your calling or want to fight against a complacent life, I believe the answer is meeting two persons, two persons that are going to change your life. Turn with me if you have your Bibles, your Bible app to Acts chapter 2. We also have the words here on the side screen, the, the verses. Well, here's where we find ourselves in the story. Jesus, that Jewish rabbi who was passing by those four uh, fishermen, he's God became man. He lived without sin, went to the cross, died in our place as a substitute for our sin, was buried, and then three days later, he rose again on Sunday, and he rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. The first person that you need to meet that will change your life is Jesus. We like to say around here that Jesus changes everything. There is nothing in your life that is too big for Jesus to conquer. There's nothing that's too uncertain for Jesus. If you've not met Jesus, I want to encourage you to meet Jesus, to follow him. 
If you are not following him, he is inviting you right now. Come, follow me. And we all have the choice to follow Jesus. And meeting Jesus changed Peter's life. Peter's going down the path of being a fisherman like his father. And all of a sudden, he meets Jesus and receives a new calling. But where we are in the story, Jesus then tells his followers, after he died, he rose again. He says, but wait, don't go out and start your ministry yet. You need to wait. That's what we talked about last week, that time waiting isn't time wasted, that it's time invested. And so they're waiting. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And his first followers, they're waiting in the hot, stuffy upper room, just like this, amen? And they're waiting, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Because there's always a time of waiting in between receiving your calling and fulfilling your calling. There's always going to be a time of waiting in between receiving from God what you know you're called to do, and then actually stepping forward and fulfilling your calling. There's always a time of waiting. Moses, the prince of Egypt, called to save his people from slavery and bondage, had to wait 40 years to step into his calling. David, the giant slayer, called to be king, anointed to be king, but had to wait 20 years between being anointed and when he actually got to rule as king. Peter was called by Jesus to lead, but he has to wait. In Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus slowly revealed Peter's calling to him, that he'd be the one to lead this brand new church. There's this great story where Jesus takes his disciples on a field trip to a place where no good Jewish kids would ever go. And outside of this pagan city, he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they all give kind of different answers. And then Peter says, you are Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the one that we've been waiting for, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you and on your statement of faith, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter's like, yeah, I got it right. He's looking around the other disciples, and they're like, yeah, Peter. You know, like, he's got it right. He knows who Jesus is. He's got his calling. Man, this is exciting. But something terrible happens between receiving that calling and when he gets to step into his calling. You see, on the darkest night of Peter's life, One of Jesus' closest friends, Judas, betrays him. And Jesus gets arrested and beaten. How will Peter respond? Peter, who, filled with false courage, told Jesus, hey, even if everyone else scatters, I will follow you. When it comes to that moment, Peter fails his calling, and he runs away scared. Not only that, it gets worse in front of a fire. He denies Jesus three times. He denies that he even knows him. Then the unthinkable happens, and Jesus rises from the dead in three days. Wow. But how is Jesus going to respond to Peter? Peter, with this great confession of faith, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon you. How is Jesus going to respond to Peter, one of his closest friends, who denied even knowing him? So Peter goes back to work as a fisherman. Because a lot of times we go back to what's comfortable. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't give him a lecture. He doesn't give him a sermon. He doesn't post some cryptic Facebook message about him. He makes his friend breakfast. And Jesus and Peter sitting in front of a fire just like the one where Peter denied Jesus. Jesus forgives him and renews his calling. 
Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus knows he's leaving. He needs Peter to take care of the new church. And so Peter is forgiven. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And Peter still has his calling to lead the early church, but how's that gonna work out? Sure, Peter's been forgiven, but I bet people are wondering, this coward is gonna lead the new church? How is that gonna work out? And I imagine Peter, in those 10 days, between the time Jesus told him to wait on the Holy Spirit, wait to be filled with the power, he's sitting there, and he's praying, and he's saying, God, I'm not enough. I'm a coward. I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. Peter, all too aware of his own failings, but gang, that's where I believe God wants us. Aware of our calling and aware that we can't do it on our own. We can't fulfill that calling in our own strength. We need something else to empower us to live out the calling that Jesus is giving us. Well, let's read what happens to Peter next. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is crazy. Like, if you're new to church, you're like, what is going on? There's a mighty wind and sounds and fire going on. These people are gathered together. They're waiting. They're praying. And suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up. It's the dawn of the day of Pentecost. And Peter and the other followers of Jesus, they're gathered together to wait and to pray. And this new day begins with the eruption of sounds from heaven, of wind. Things are coming loose, breaking open. Can it be the same wind that on that first morning of creation that hovered over the waters, that breathed life? The winds of creation, that those winds are once again bringing something to life? This takes place on the morning of a Jewish holiday, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. The Passover was a celebration that the Jewish people did, celebrating God's deliverance of the people from slavery and bondage in Egypt through the shedding of the blood of a substitutionary lamb. We've talked about this a lot this summer, that the defining event of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And so Passover was a big deal for the Jewish people. When they were slaves in Egypt, and then God brought them out under the blood of a lamb. And this was a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus, our Passover lamb who was slain, that through him, through his shed blood, we receive redemption, our exodus, through our liberation from Satan's sin and death. And so the Jewish people celebrated Passover. Then 50 days later, it was Pentecost. As God led the people out of slavery and bondage and through the Red Sea, and then 50 days later, God showed up on Mount Sinai and gave to Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, said, this is how you are to live. Then he promised he would lead them as a pillar of fire. Dr. Luke, our author, tells us that divided tongues of fire settled on each believer's head. I wonder if maybe it started off as that pillar of fire just like that led the ancient Israelites through the wilderness, but then divided into individual tongues to show us that no longer would God just simply speak through one person, through Moses, but instead, as that fire divided, 
now the Holy Spirit would be available to each and every believer. I wonder if, as Peter saw that fire, he was reminded of his greatest failure around that campfire, and then reminded of the infinite forgiveness he received through Jesus. Fire is most appreciated when it's cold and dark, amen? You and I love fires, especially Minnesota winters, when it's cold and dark. Maybe you're out hiking, camping, uh, hunting. It's dark, it's cold. We appreciate fires because they illuminate. It brings warmth and life and heat. The Holy Spirit is like that. Our lives and world are cold and they are dark. And the Holy Spirit comes to illuminate Jesus and to warm our hearts to love him. I want you to think of the Holy Spirit every time you enjoy a fire this fall. And so these are outward symbols, metaphors, that the Holy Spirit is using to reveal his internal workings. He warms us like a fire. He sets us ablaze for the truth of God, and he illuminates the world in which we live. Today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I told you earlier to buckle up. Uh, we've got a lot of things to cover. We've got two pages of notes. This is going to be a master's level course on the Holy Spirit. We don't always do this much information, but I'm just warning you, this week we're going to get into a lot. So buckle up. Here we go. Uh, When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think most Christians fall into one of two extremes. Not everyone. I think most do. I think some seem obsessed relating to him in strange mystical ways. Their experiences with the Spirit often seems to coincide with emotional moments created by the swell of music in a worship service or a weird confluence of events. Like, I was praying whether to ask out Rachel when I suddenly saw a billboard whose colors, the background was the same colors as her eyes, and that was totally the Holy Spirit leading me to ask her out on a date, Right? Some people just like, everything. Other Christians neglect his ministry altogether. They believe in the Holy Spirit, but they relate to him in the same way that I relate to my pituitary gland, right? I'm glad it's there, but I don't relate to it at all. It's just, it's something I never want to lose, but I don't really interact with it. For those Christians, the Holy Spirit is not a moving dynamic person. He's more of just kind of a theory in their lives. And maybe, maybe you grew up in one of those two camps. Maybe today you have an amazing, awesome Theology of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see me. This is a review for you. But yet, Jesus made his disciples the most astounding promise about the Holy Spirit. And this, to me, for the longest time, just blew my mind. And I think it's so astounding that many of us don't take it seriously. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I leave so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's good that I go away from you so that then you can receive the Holy Spirit. I think, though, if we asked most Christians, what would you rather have Jesus beside you or the Holy Spirit inside of you, I think most people would say, I want Jesus beside me. And so I think that shows how far we are apart from grasping what Jesus was offering to us. But see, the truth is, What is better than Jesus beside you? Jesus himself says, the Holy Spirit inside you. Better than Jesus here in the flesh, because he would be confined to one place at one time. See, if Jesus was still here on earth, you have to get in a plane, fly all the way over to Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, somewhere over there, and wait in line with the other million people who are waiting there. And then you get like 10 seconds with him, because he's got so many people to get through. Instead, Jesus, instead of being in one place at one time, he said, I 
need to go away. It's better so that you can receive the Holy Spirit because then the Holy Spirit can talk to all of us at the same time. He's inside of us working, leading us, and guiding us. And as hard as it is to believe, I want each of us to grasp the truth that it's better to have the Holy Spirit inside of us than Jesus physically right here beside us. Number one, taking notes, we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. First, we need to understand him as a person. I said there are two persons you needed to meet. The first is Jesus. The second is the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a mystery that we will never get our minds wrapped around. The Bible tells us that God is one, one God with three persons. One God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. I don't know how that works, <laughs> but it, he is one, but he's three. He's one, he's three. And that's the mystery of the Trinity. But we need to seek and understand the Holy Spirit as a person just as much as Jesus is a person. Now, they are one, but there are three persons. So we need to seek the Holy Spirit as a person and not just seek after his manifestations. Amen? We shouldn't be asking, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? The right question to ask is, how can I give more of myself to the Holy Spirit? It's like falling in love. It's not saying, how can I get more of my spouse? How can I give more of myself to Kristen? Let's clear some things up about the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys grew up in Sunday school? Not all of you, but how many of you? Put your hands in the air, wave them. Yep, good, okay. How was the Holy Spirit almost always portrayed? Anyone? A dove, yes. Okay, the Holy Spirit is not a dove, okay? He's not a bird floating around. He is not a dove. Dr. Luke tells us he descended on Jesus at his baptism like a dove. He's not a dove. He's like a dove, okay? You might say, Eric, you're kind of built like an ox, right? Yeah, I know that, right? Doesn't mean I'm a four-footed creature that likes hay, all right? The Holy Spirit is gentle, like a dove. He is not a bird. He is not a fire. He is not a rushing wind. He is like a dove. He is like a rushing wind. He is like tongues of fire. We need to understand he is a person. And sadly, I think oftentimes he's the most ignored person in the church. If you feel unseen and ignored, talk to him. He understands. <laughs> How do we know he's a person, not just some kind of mysterious force? I'm going to go through these quickly. Again, email me if you want more on this. Number one, the Holy Spirit teaches us. That's what a person does, not a force. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is Jesus talking, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Jesus says, hey, when you're hanging out, when you're trying to remember other things I've, I've taught you, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He will remind you. Number two, the Holy Spirit speaks. That's what a person does, not a force. Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit speaks. Number three, the Holy Spirit can be grieved, just like a person. You can hurt his feelings. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Actually, it doesn't say, don't grieve Jesus. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit can grieve. Number four, the Holy Spirit can forbid or prevent the Holy Spirit can put the brakes on us. Acts 16, 6 through 7. They went through the region of, I don't know how to say this, Phrygia, I don't know, and Galatia. Pastors don't really know what we're saying when we're talking about these Greek words. <laughs> Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Paul was going on his missions journey, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go over here. He's a person. 
Number five, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the same Spirit apportions spiritual gifts to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. And number six, the Holy Spirit helps us. Romans 8, 26 through 27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us. He helps us. The Holy Spirit is a person. Today, the biggest thing I want you to walk away with is that the Holy Spirit is not just some weird force out there. The Holy Spirit is a person. And you can have a relationship. You can know him. He's here to help you, to teach you, to correct you, to intercede for you. Number two, the Holy Spirit is a person and he wants to have a relationship with you. How do we experience his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit? As I study scripture, I see four primary ways that we experience his presence. Number one, through scripture. I think the Spirit's primary way for speaking and moving our lives, not the only way, but the primary way is through the Bible. And I believe the Holy Spirit leads me through nudges, through uh, feelings, through a word of revelation in, in my mind. But we must weigh our subjective sense of what the Spirit is saying against the teachings of the book that he inspired. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit leading us. We need to then also dig deep into the word that he inspired so that when he leads us, we can check it against scripture and say, how does this line up? What he's telling me to do, does it line up with scripture? Yes, no. We, 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 we back it up against scripture. Number two, the Holy Spirit speaks through the church. The most common way the Holy Spirit speaks in the book of Acts is honestly through the big C, the big church. For instance, in Acts 13, 2, we read, while the church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God gave the church specific insight into what Saul and Barnabas were to do. Throughout his life, Paul received instructions about where to go and what to do through members of the church. And he gave similar words of instruction through Peter. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit will use someone in our midst as a church to say, yes, we believe that you are called to do this. We're sending you out into ministry. My prayer all the time is that God will raise up someone that we are going to send out to be a church planner and go plant a church. That God will raise up people who feel that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I'm getting called to go to the missions field and, and to go tell people that don't know about Jesus in another country to do that. And as a church, we will pray and say, yes, we believe. We confirm that calling that you are called to do this. Number three, through prayer. Jude 1, 20 through 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. As we pray, the Holy Spirit oftentimes will reveal something to us. Prayer is a two-way conversation. It's not just saying everything we want to God, but we, we are sharing with him our thoughts, our feelings, our concerns. We're asking God for insights and revelation. And we need to make time in our prayer where we are slowing down, we are listening, saying, Holy Spirit, reveal in my mind, in my heart, what you want me to know. As we pray, the Holy Spirit reveals that we feel his presence as we pray. Number four, through using our spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul tells us that each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit when we choose to follow Christ. And this becomes a primary vehicle 
for his guidance in our lives and how we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. Uh, in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this scene where Father Christmas has been kept out of Narnia for 100 years because of the power of the White Witch. But now Aslan has come, and her power is breaking. And Father Christmas, who's like Santa, he's kind of like Jesus, he, he comes in and he gives each of the four children a mysterious gift. And they don't realize it when they receive those gifts at first. But those gifts will be essential to the coming battle with the White Witch. Peter realizes his sword was given to lead the assault against the White Witch. Lucy realizes her gift, this healing ointment, was given to bind up the wounded after the battle. I think C.S. Lewis's imagery in that book mirrors Paul's claim in 1 Corinthians that we perceive what God wants for us by looking at the gifts that he's placed inside of us. And by using those gifts, we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I want to encourage you to discover that. There are tests you can take online, but really, those work okay. But through trial and error, through trying your gifts, the Holy Spirit reveals to you, hey, this is how you are wired up. This is some gifts you have. And as you use those gifts, you'll feel the Holy Spirit's presence and you will know what you've been called to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us this, to each is given, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Our spiritual gifts are for each other and for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Maybe you've realized that God has given you wisdom for other people, and as you share that, you're walking in your spiritual gifts. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Maybe sometimes you just kind of know things you shouldn't know. And it's the Holy Spirit revealing to you a knowledge about someone else and saying, hey, this week I was praying for you and I think, man, God is telling me you need to let go of this bitterness towards this person. According to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit gives us unique spiritual gifts. And as we learn to use our gifts, as we use them, we will feel the Holy Spirit's presence in our life and we will know what we are called to do. Number three, the power of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit wants you not only to experience his presence, but also to walk in his power. That's what Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8. Wait and you will receive power, dunamis, dynamite in your life. The Christian life is not meant to be lived powerless. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives us power, Amen. How do we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Number one, we pray for it. In Acts 4.31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Today, if you're like, I don't feel like I have this power in my life. I feel like I am just trying to walk in my calling, in my own strength, 
at the end of service, my wife Chris and I are going to be over here, and I want to pray with you. And I want to pray that you will receive the Holy Spirit, that he will fill you, and that you will experience power in a way that perhaps in your Christian life you've never experienced before. Number two, how to receive this power? Laying on of hands, Acts 8, 14 through 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd received water baptism, but they'd not received the Holy Spirit yet. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We see again and again through scripture that Paul tells the church to ask for the pastors, the elders, to lay hands on you and to pray. If you're sick, have someone lay a hand on you to pray for you. How to receive the Holy Spirit? Laying on of hands. Number three, we receive by faith. Galatians 3.14, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We don't receive the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit just by trying really hard. We don't have the manifestations, the the fruit of the Spirit in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, by just trying really hard. But it's by faith, by praying, saying, Holy Spirit, I want to open myself more to you. I want to give more of myself to you. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. They wait, they gather, they pray, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills Peter and the other followers of Jesus. And Peter is radically transformed from cowardly to courageous. And so what does Peter do next? This coward who denied Jesus just 50 days ago in front of a little fire, a couple people, now he stands up in front of that same crowd that yelled, crucify him, just 50 days ago. Peter stands in front of that crowd, and here's what he says in verse 32. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter, filled with boldness because of the power of the Holy Spirit, gets in front of that same crowd who crucified Jesus and says that you crucified him. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have repented, but you haven't yet been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We're doing that tonight. I want to encourage you, do that. Jesus tells us to believe and be baptized. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. That's you and me. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. That's what we're doing tonight. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amazing. The Holy Spirit transforms Peter and helps him live out his calling and his purpose. And what happens? 3,000 people find forgiveness and grace and hope for the first time as they surrender their lives to Jesus, as they are baptized. How was Peter transformed from cowardly to courageous? How was he able to step into his calling? Only by meeting the person of the Holy Spirit and by being filled with his power and his presence. Jesus' mission requires that you and I be filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot be who Jesus has made us to be, and we can't do what Jesus has called us to do unless we are filled with his power and his presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Let's say you're a new Christian and you want to figure out what your spiritual gifts are to serve Jesus. You're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you and to show you what your ministry is. Let's say you're getting married. I know there's a bunch of engaged people in here. You're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you so you can learn to be a loving and faithful spouse. Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe you hope to adopt. Maybe you hope to be foster parents. You're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you so you can love and lead your children for the glory of God. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're hurting, you're asking the Holy Spirit to fill you that you might persevere and through your sufferings learn more about Jesus, become more like Jesus. I want us to be a community that is full of followers of Jesus who have been baptized, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit and continually led by his power and his presence of the Holy Spirit to walk in that calling. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. Now, some of you are still getting freaked out when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit because you, you grew up and you weren't sure what to think about this. And in the Christian faith, there are all different uh, opinions and thoughts within what we call Orthodox Christian faith. And, and what I'm trying to share with you is a pretty um, central uh, viewpoint, and we can get into the weeds and all this stuff, but I encourage you to set that aside. I want you to know, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And if you've not yet met Jesus, you need to surrender your life to him. It is only through Jesus that we are saved. It is only through Jesus that we find forgiveness of our sins. And there's no good talking about our calling or spiritual gifts or being led by the Holy Spirit if we don't first have a relationship with Jesus. I invite every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. And before we move on and close our service, I want to give the invitation. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus says, come follow me, find forgiveness, find hope for the first time. If you want to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you just to raise your hand at the count of three. Jesus hung on the cross for us publicly so that we could find forgiveness. And so we want to publicly identify with him. If you want to say yes to Jesus to follow him, on the count of three, just lift your hand high. One, Jesus loves you so, so much. Number two, I believe you'll never be the same. Three, lift your hand if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning. I see that hand, thank you. I see that hand, thank you. I see that hand, thank you. Jesus loves you. I wanna invite you just to pray with me. There's no special words that you have to say. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved and your sins will be forgiven. You will be accepted into God's family sealed by the Holy Spirit. Pray with me this. Heavenly Father, I need you. I confess I am a sinner. I have made mistakes. I've messed up. So Jesus, forgive me. Be my savior. Be my leader. Invite me into your family. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. The Bible tells us that when we follow Jesus, we are saved. But that's not where it ends. We don't just end as fire insurance. Hey, I get to go to heaven. I get to have a relationship with Jesus. I get forgiveness. That's it. The Bible says there is so much more. And I truly believe 
There are some of you in the room, that's where your relationship with God has stopped. Jesus as your savior, Jesus as someone to be admired, and that's it. But Jesus doesn't want us just to admire him. He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can learn to be like Jesus, so that we can step into our calling, so that we can make a difference in this world. Following Jesus isn't just about about heaven when we die. It's about right here, right now. Amen? We get drafted into his army to make a difference. We push back the works of the enemy so that others can receive forgiveness and hope to reach out to the least of these, to make a difference in this world. And so I want to invite you this morning. If that has been your primary experience of just sitting in a row, just admiring Jesus, knowing that he's your savior, but that's it, I want to tell you there is more. It doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Christ for a week, for 10 years, for 30 years. Again and again, the New Testament tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's, it's not just a one-time thing, but more and more we can open ourselves up, we can give ourselves more to the Holy Spirit. And so I want to invite you this morning to be prayed for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with his power and his presence. Chris and I, we're going to stand over here. I want to lay hands on you. We're, we're going to pray for you. For those who want to receive this, those of you who've been sitting and feeling like there has to be more. Why is it that I can't pray like that person? Why is it that I seem to not know what my spiritual gifts are? There are people in this room, I know you've been admiring the way others pray, the way that others have a relationship with God that just seems so much more real and tangible. I believe that's because you need to open yourselves up to the Holy Spirit to fill you, to to know his presence, to, to walk in his power. To, to break open and say, God, come fill me. Let me lay down all the stuff that I've been holding on to so that I can be more and more aware of who you are. I'm going to pray for you. And then please, I, I, please, I beg you, step out of your chair. Take that step of faith. Get prayed for. You can come down. You can pray on your knees. I 100% guarantee no one is judging you. No one thinks anything less of you. I would love to pray for you. If you want someone else to pray for you, that's awesome too. The band's going to sing this song, just Spirit of the Living God. Move on us. Speak on us. Because when we seek him, it changes how we see things. It changes how we live. There is more than what you have been experiencing. And my prayer for you as your pastor, that you would know the fullness of God. That you would know how deep and wide his love is for you and that his power is present in your life. Those of you who've been struggling with addictions and you can't break them, the Holy Spirit can help you. Those of you who feel like there's more, the Holy Spirit wants to lead and guide you. Those who've been struggling with so many things, I believe that you've been blocking yourselves off from all that God has to offer you. And I I beg you, I implore you, open yourself up to his leading, to not hold anything back. Would you join me in prayer? God, I pray that right now, you would just continue to stir hearts and minds. God, that we would not just admire who you are, that we would not just relate to you as our savior, but Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that you would speak to us, you would reveal our calling, our spiritual gifts, that your power would be evident in our life. 
God, I pray right now for people in this room to experience a dynamic and new prayer life for the very first time in their lives. God, that there would be a hunger for your word, that those who've been maybe falling asleep reading your Bible, God, this week would just have such a hunger to know you, to read your word, God, that you could not get enough of it. God, that those who have been sitting on the sidelines, God, that you would reveal how you have called them, the spiritual gifts that you have given them so they can step into that calling, God, that we can all make a difference in this world right here, right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would move in our lives, that we would not hold back. God, that you would move us from cowardly to courageous to step into our calling. In your name we pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. Again, we're going to close here in just a couple minutes.